Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. Hey guys, um, great to be with you this morning. A quick announcement, we do have a baptism after church. We want you to join us um, there. But if you maybe have never been baptized, we invite you to come. But I have a brother that I've known since, man, Ephraim, I've known you since you were a little kid. Little. So that tells you how old I am because he's grown up now and stuff. But um, he's going to get baptized as he's going to be moving to Ohio with the rest of his family. But mom is still here. Everybody's still here. Um, but we're gonna, he wanted to be baptized today. And if, but others want to be baptized. It's just an outward a showing of already an inward work that God is doing in us. So we're going to have that right out of service after church here. I'm coming to there. If you have Bibles, open up to the Gospel of John, the 11th chapter. We're continuing on with our sermon series called Believe. Uh, we've been journeying through the Gospel of John. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've been blessed by it as we've been doing it for almost a, uh, you know, a good amount of months. We'll be ending it as we go into next year. Um, just continue the story, really the biography of Jesus and what he's, what he's all about and why he came. Uh, so we're going to be in John chapter 11, looking at verses 17 to 27. In fact, um, Billy Graham, uh, in the latter part of his life, was asked to, to come and share a little bit as they wanted to honor him. And uh, so he shows up for this thing. He's battling Parkinson's disease. He's struggling. He's, he's dealing with health issues. But he goes there, and he gets up to speak, and he tells a story about Albert Einstein. So Albert Einstein was on a train traveling from Princeton when the conductor came in to collect the stamps to see for the tickets. And as he comes to Albert Einstein, he says, can I have your ticket? And so Albert reaches in the pocket and he can't find his ticket. And then he reaches into his trouser. He can't find it. He look, looks in his bag. He can't find it. And, and the conductor basically says, Albert, I, I know you. And I'm sure you bought your ticket. I'm sure you're, you're, you're fine. And, and he's still struggling trying to find the ticket. And so... Uh, you're going to be okay. And so the conductor continues down the, 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 the aisle way. They're collecting stamping people. And he turns around and he notices that Albert Einstein's on his knees and his hands looking under the, the table, looking in. And so the conductor comes back and says, Albert, are, are you okay? You know, hey, I, I know who you are. And he's like, he goes, he goes and I know you're looking, but you're okay. You're going to be fine. And, he, and so Albert says, you know, sir, I know who I am, but I don't know where I'm going. Billy Graham, as he finishes up that story, says, I'm wearing this suit today because this is the suit that I'm going to be burying, but I want to tell you something. I know who I am, and I know where I'm going. And, and, and my challenge this morning as we get into the, this gospel in the 11th chapters, we're dealing with the story of Lazarus' death and resurrection. My challenge is, do you know where you're going? Do you know what your future is? Do you know where your hope is? As we look at this story, let me give you a little backstory, right? Jesus was at the Jordan River. He's, a, he's in a place where he's doing ministry and people are believing. We see that at the end of chapter 10. He hears the story that his beloved friend is sick. But instead of running all the way to Bethany, which is 20 miles away, he stays two more days. And after two more days, he takes a journey, which is 20 miles to Bethany, which is four days in. By the time he gets to Bethany, it's four days in. He already hears that Lazarus has died. And he's been in the, in, in, in the grave for four days. And we're going to continue the story as he's journeying into Bethany. That you're going to have an encounter here where he has an encounter with Mary. And this morning, we're going to look at her side of the story from her perspective and her grieving process and what she's doing. And next week, we're going to look at Mary's side because he addresses both. And so we're going to look at that this morning. Let's look at the story here. John chapter 11, starting at verse 17, says this. So when Jesus came, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the woman around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. So Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray this morning as we enter in and continue our worship of the word. Father, we've been worshiping you in song. We've been worshiping with our hearts and with our minds. And now we pray this morning as we enter into the word, Lord, that you would speak through your word. As those who are here today, Lord, as I'm washing them with the word, as I'm pouring out the word, Father, may they understand the truths of this event, this true story, Lord. May they understand that this is relevant for us today as we look at our own life. And so I ask, believing this morning that you're going to do a great work and trusting that you've already begun a great work in those that are here today. We thank you, we praise you, uh, we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys, we know that death is real. Death is real. We have obituaries that remind us of that, right? We know that there's an expiration date for every one of us. But for the believer... That expiration date shouldn't be fearful. It actually should be hopeful because we have a finish line. We have a purpose. There's a story of these two girls that were out, and one of the girls says, hey, we got to head back to my house. And so going, to, going back to her house, what she did is she actually went through a cemetery, and as they're going through the cemetery, the other friend says, why are you cutting through the cemetery? And she said, because this is the shortcut to get home. Guys, it's through this death that we get our way home. For death is the door into eternity. Death is the way that we have to enter in. It's like when you plant a seed in the ground, it must die before it grows. And same for us, that there's a process that we go through in order to enter in to eternity. Erwin McManus said this, he said, Jesus' death isn't to free us from dying, but to free us from the fear of death. Jesus came to liberate us so that we could die up front and then live. We know that the scripture speaks about two types of death. There's a big D and a little d, if you look at the scriptures. There's a physical death, and there's a spiritual death. All of us will experience a physical death unless Jesus raptures us and takes us before that, and that day is coming soon. But all of us will go through this first death, but it's up to us to choose whether we face the second death, Because Jesus' death and resurrection made a way for us to, by faith, to escape the second death. I always say this, die twice, live once, live once, die twice. What does that mean, right? If we die twice, it means if I die to my own flesh, die to myself, and I receive Christ, then I'm only going to experience another death, right? So if I die twice to myself, to the physical death, then it leads us to eternal life. But if I choose to live this life apart from Christ, I live, then I'm going to have a physical death and a spiritual death. And so my challenge to you is die twice, live once, or live once, die twice. As we enter into the story, death touches us all, and death touched this family, Lazarus' family. It touched Mary, it touched Martha, and we're going to experience, as we enter into the story this morning, we see that there's an encounter with Martha. But the beginning of verse 17, 18, we see the confirmation of death. Look at this. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. So Jesus is journeying into Bethany, and he receives words that his beloved friend has passed. Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. Four days is very significant because in the, in the rabbinical or Jewish tradition, there was a superstition that believed that the soul stayed near the body for three days with the hope of it returning back to the body. But on the fourth day, there would be no possibility of resuscitation. And so Jesus was even breaking the superstition of the people to say, look, it, when I enter, there's going to be a resurrection, I'm going to do this miracle in a way that nobody could doubt that this is a fake thing. See, God God will shatter any of the superstitions and traditions and belief systems that are out there. 
When, when the, God's people were in slavery in Egypt, what did he do? He brought the plagues into Egypt, everyone defeating the Egyptian gods, saying, look, I am the true God. I'll break whatever false faith you have, whatever tradition you have, whatever belief systems. I'm going to break it down because I'm the Almighty. And he does that here as it relates to dealing with the issue of death. You know, people have a lot of belief systems, a lot of belief about life after death. You know, they, they, they believe in reincarnation. They say, I believe that you come back as something else or they believe that you just perish and die and there's no life after death. But I know this, Paul the Apostle affirms the fact that it says this in 2 Corinthians 5.8, we are confident, we could be assured, yes, well, please rather be absent from the body to be present with the Lord. For those in the faith, we're gonna have a meeting, we're gonna have a homecoming with God. And so as Mary is home in, in Bethany and, and she's grieving with her, I mean, Martha and Mary are grieving this loss. It gives some interesting things in scripture. It says that Bethany was two miles from Jerusalem. So Jesus is journeying from the Jordan to Bethany. And yet Bethany is two miles from Jerusalem. Remember, Bethany was located on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. For those who have been to Israel, you have the city of Jerusalem that sits on a hill. Then it goes down like this. We call that the Kidron Valley, right? There's a valley that goes there and goes all around the city. And then it goes up the top to the Mount of Olives. That's where the Garden of Gethsemane is. That's where Bethany's located on the east side of it. And there it is. In fact, if you go to Jerusalem, we were planning to do that. We're going to do that trip eventually. There's actually a lot of graves along the side of the Kidron Valley, Jewish graves, because they believe that they're hoping that Jesus is going to come and resurrect. And so they, a lot of them get buried right there. Because why? It, it's, it, this is the same place, this Mount of Olives is where Bethany is. And it's the same place, remember I told you, that Jesus ascended into heaven? And we talked about that last week. It's the location where he ascended. It's the same place that I told you the Garden of Gethsemane is where Jesus had his own grieving moment in the garden prior to his death that he was agonizing and suffering and dealing with that. In fact, the word Bethany means the house of misery. Another word for misery is distress, anguish, and suffering, heartache, and heartbreak. And we know that the sisters were grieving over this. This is the same emotion Jesus had in the garden. But we find hope because when you, when from Bethany, you could see the city of Jerusalem, which is the city of peace. That in their, in their grieving, you could still find peace. And anybody who abides in Jesus, any abodes in Christ, will find peace and will be able to see. And, he, and he's giving a picture here saying, look, at the peacecomer is coming. The one who could take away your pain and your grief is, is there. But this is the same place as Jesus ascended to heaven into the clouds, is the same place that the prophet Zechariah says that Jesus is going to come back. Zechariah 14, 4 says, In that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and he will come to restore true peace. These places are very significant in the story because these places give us hope. It gives us pictures. It gives us symbolism to what God wants to do in our own lives. But in this time as Jesus is walking, he's walking to Bethany, we know that, that Mary and Martha have a community. And people in the city and community have come to comfort them. And so comfort, there's comforting of the family. Look at verse 19. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brothers. What's happening in this home, in this family's home, Martha and Mary's house became a house of mourning. In fact, Ecclesiastes 12.5 says, for man goes to his eternal home and the mourners go to the streets. You know, faith in our loss and our grief, faith will keep sorrow from the heart, but not from the house, right? That's why Jesus said, let your heart not be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. We'll get into that in John 14, when he's gonna go and he's gonna die and he's gonna go but I'm going to return, he promises. But they're grieving, and, and grieving is a very real thing. When there's a loss of a family member, a loss of a friend, a loss of somebody dear to you, we are emotional people that grieve. That's right. Grieving is the, the process by which God gives us to work through the, the difficulties and, and the pain. But in our grieving, it's powerful that we would have a community around to comfort us. The church should be a community that helps comfort those that have lost. Because when there are mourners, there, there needs to be comforters. That's right. 
I'm reminded in John chapter 10, when Jesus in the temple sharing who he is, there was the Jews gathered around him, the religious leaders that wanted to stone him. But in this community in Bethany, there was Jews that gathered around Mary and Martha that wanted to comfort them. One was about life and one was about death. And so we know that the city was Mary and Martha's city. We read that earlier that they had great influence. And, and so this community knows this family well and they come to comfort the family. When we have loss, we, what do we do? We, we have traditions and practices in our culture to have memorial services or funeral services, right? And, and they probably already had that already for Lazarus because Lazarus has been in the grave and has been dead for four days already. So they have gone through the memorial service. They've gone through all these types of service. And now they're on the kind of the backside of what's happening after the loss. And they're, they're still grieving the loss of a brother. And a community is grieving the loss of a, of a friend, I've, I've been in the ministry a long time and I've done many, many services for believers and, and for unbelievers. It's hard to do a service for people that didn't have faith compared to the people that do have faith. That's, that's, that's a challenge. Why? Because when we celebrate the life of a believer, it's, it's an eternal homecoming for him and we celebrate that he's in the presence of the Lord. In fact, Psalm 116.5 says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. But a lot of times, we may process grief a little bit differently. Some process grief with a hope. Some process grief with no hope, right? I, I've, done, I've done services for people that aren't in the faith, and the way they celebrate is they're grieving and they're lost, and then they go and they drink and they party, and they're, they're just covering their sorrow and their pain by, by just self-medicating. I can't handle the loss because there's no hope in that. But what do we find is the Apostle Paul writes to the Thessalonians, Thessalonica, and in the book of Thessalonians says, but I do not want you to be ignorant brethren. I don't want you to be unknowing. Concerning those who have fallen asleep, remember the word sleep can mean death in the scriptures, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Guys, when we lose people, we have a hope. We have a promise. And so we're comforted by the fact that, 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 that those are gone on before us with Jesus, that those have been in the faith. I, I remember when Pastor Fergie, many of you might have known Pastor Fergie, and some of you don't. Pastor, pastor Fergie was a, a pastor on staff here, and, but he had had a couple of transplants, and then uh, he got really sick during COVID and was affected by COVID. And I remember, um, and his family, him moved, they're part of our staff and ministry for many years, and they ended up moving to Minneapolis. And um, he got really sick. He got COVID. And because of his health issues, he was ended up in the hospital and he was in the ICU room, right? And they wanted to incubate him, but he didn't want to be incubated. He was, he was a fighter for those in Pastor Fergie. He's, a, he's the biggest Filipino. He was probably like 6'4", good solid 250, 300. Before Christ, he was a bouncer in the clubs and he was a drug dealer. But God redeemed him and restored him. And he was the biggest teddy bear you could ever imagine. He was always hugging on people and loving on people and doing all that. And so he's, in the, he's sick and he's in the ICU room. And he was watching our services online. And he would be texting me. Pastor Pete, what a great message, man. I really got blessed. This brother is sick in a hospital, but his faith sustained him. And in his bed, knowing that he's not doing well, he's... He's, he's encouraging me. I, I called him uh, the next day and said, hey, brother, think how you doing, man? Pastor, I'm, I'm enduring. I'm hanging there, but I know I'm getting ready to meet Jesus. I know I'm getting ready to meet my, my papa. He, he was just so into it, and the next day he passed. And when we did his memorial service here, it was such a moment to recognize the life that he had had and the touches that he had had. But we celebrated the death and the legacy of a man who put his faith in Jesus. We weren't, though we are grieving the loss of our brother, we are celebrating the victory in his life. And see, what's happening is, 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 is Martha's coming to Jesus, and she's still grieving, she's still hurting, she's still broken, but she still has her faith anchored. We're going to see that in a, in a moment as she's still dealing with the pain. And so when you look at verses 20 to 23, you're going to see Martha's processing her grief. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus can handle our pain. Jesus can handle our struggle. 
And Martha comes to Jesus in her pain and her conversation with Jesus. You see her pain, her hurt, and maybe even her anger, right? Let me tell you something. When you have loss, grief is never meant to be buried. It needs to be dealt with. It needs to be expressed, right? Grief is not dealt with as like toxic waste. It, toxic waste, if it's buried, will cause nothing but trouble. It leaks into water systems, contaminates crops, and kills animals. Grief that goes undealt with will do the same. It leaks into our emotional systems. It, it distorts our perception of life, and it kills our relationship. Martha appears upset and bitter at Jesus as reflected in her words in the discussion in their encounter, right? And so when, when Martha hears Jesus is coming, we see this in verse 20, she responds, look at, now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. <laughs> Mary, uh, Martha breaks protocol in her morning. Martha breaks some protocol. What does that mean? You see that the two sisters, they had their own personalities, right? Uh, Martha is the one that's kind of the extrovert, the worker, the, the servant, the out there. Mary is more the reclusive, sits at the feet of Jesus. In fact, they say that Martha was like Peter, where Mary was like John in, in personalities. You know, Peter was the one that just blurted out things. Peter was the one that just expressed himself publicly. And some of your personalities, like some of your extroverts, some of your introverts, and you have different personalities, and you see John writing about their different personalities. So when, when, when Martha hears that Jesus is coming, she breaks protocol because in the Middle East culture, when you're grieving, you usually stay at home and stay isolated and you stay and just work through the grief. But she broke protocol and went out to seek Jesus. It says, but Mary stayed at home. You know, they say Mary is like Peter because remember, after Jesus' resurrection, Peter's on a boat, Jesus is on the shore, and what happens is they say, oh, that's Jesus. And what does Peter do? He jumps, throws off his clothes, jumps in the water and goes after Jesus. Martha's doing the same thing. Jesus is coming. She leaves the house and meets him on a road into Bethany. We see her movement here, right? We know that somebody might have delivered this message to Martha. Maybe it was a, di maybe it was a disciple, but it prompted her to leave the house. And here's where Jesus has a private moment with Martha. I think even in our loss, God wants to have some private moments with us Amen. to dealing with our hearts, with our minds. We have lots of time just to get before the Lord. God, touch me, do deal, help me in my grief. But when she comes, she has some words for Jesus and she didn't let her feelings be known to him, right? And she wanted Jesus's ear, but she came real and raw. She came real and raw, guns blazing, I would say. You know what? There's things we can come to Jesus with in a raw and real way that we can't come to others with. Because others won't understand. But Jesus can handle the raw and the real better than we do. And he, he'll deal with that. And so in our pain and in our struggle and all the things we're going through, it's okay to come to Jesus authentically and say, God, I'm pissed. Come on now. You know how what I'm talking, the feelings and emotions we have. Listen, Jesus, I'm struggling right now. I'm having a hard time with what has just happened. I'm having a hard time with the loss of my brother. I'm having a hard time with the outcome of this when I called on you and you didn't come. I'm having a hard time with you right now, Jesus. How many of you had those talks with Jesus? Those moments with God, right? But Papa listens. <laughs> Papa doesn't argue. He listens. He has a listening ear. That's the God that we serve. That's the God in our brokenness, in our struggle, in our sin, in our mess. He wants to have that encounter with you. I'm only reminded of the, the prophet, the minor prophet Habakkuk, who came to the Lord. And he says, oh, Lord, how long shall I cry? And you will not hear. Even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me, and there is strife and contention arises me. Therefore, the law is powerless. Justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. 
The prophet is saying, God, I'm having a hard time where I'm living, what's going on in our culture, in our struggle, and why aren't you hearing me? And I've been calling about you, but even the injustice is taking place. The prophet is crying out in his own pain for the injustice he sees, almost blaming God for what happened and not stepping in. You know, the Lord's ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I, can, I don't understand the mind of God. And I don't question the mind of God. Though I struggled in my own grief with the loss of my mom with a young kid and, and even battled my own issues with God when I said, God, why weren't you there when my mom died? I had that conversation with God, but I didn't later come to understand his plan and, and how he will use that story and that narrative, just like he will use this story to bring many to believe. Because he'll never waste pain. He'll never waste suffering. He'll never waste difficulties. He'll never waste anything in our lives. He redeems it. He restores it. He uses it because that's the God that we worship. That's the God we sang about this morning. But Martha comes here in verses 20 and 21. Martha's grief expressed in words. Look what it says here. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Look at Martha's demeanor, right? Martha's stating her disappointment with Jesus' late arrival. Almost accusatory with him. If you were here, my brother would not have died. My brother's death, this is, this is kind of the demeanor. My brother's death came about because you weren't with us. In fact, I sent you a message and you didn't even come on time. The presence of death doesn't mean the absence of God. The presence of death doesn't mean the absence of God. Martha, how can you call him Lord then accuse him of mismanagement of his time? Because <laughs> he's Lord. He's Lord over all. Right? Sometimes we accuse God of things but don't realize he's still Lord. He's still sovereign. He still knows things we don't know. He's still working out things in things that we may not never see. He's still working it all out for the good. And it's Martha's faith that holds her. You'll catch that here. Because look, look at verse 22. But even now I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. I want you to catch it. If you're a Bible or whatever you're using, write down the word even now. Just underline it. That's an important, that's an important phrase there. Even now. Jesus, it's what she's saying is, Jesus, I know there's still hope. It's not too late. You guys might be going through many, many difficulties, but even now, God will work it out. She's saying like, Lazarus has been in the grave for, for four days, but even now, God, I know all things are possible. Even my circumstances, I even know now there's ways you're going to make a way. I may not see it, but even now. Maybe things look difficult for you. Maybe you lost that job. Maybe you lost a friend. Maybe you're getting kicked out of your house, but even now, story's not over. We may not be looking good, but even now, she understood. And, you know, I know, Lord, when, when, if you ask, your father will hear, even now, because I know the power of your prayer. I know your influence. You stop storms. You heal the sick. You raise the dead even now. She understood the power of Christ. She understood the power of his prayers. Scripture says that even now, Jesus is in heaven interceding on your behalf. Even now. Right? It, when Jesus was prior to his death and resurrection, he is with with Peter, and Peter's the knucklehead, and he's still having his issues with Jesus. But Jesus said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. He's prayer. We have a praying God. Well, no, we pray to God, but God's praying for us. Even now, he's doing that very thing. What is the whole purpose of the Gospel of John? He lays the purpose here. It's, it's our theme, believe. 
That's the ultimate that people would believe. But the purpose of this story specifically was that God would get the glory and that people would believe. That was the whole purpose of why Jesus is doing what he's doing. And he's going to call the shots his way. He's going to do it his way because his way is the best way. We might think we have another way. But that way has only led us to death and destruction. But this way Jesus said, I am the way. And we're going to do it my way. And this is the way he's doing it. We know that in the midst of even her pain and struggle and suffering, she's still holding on to her faith because her faith is her anchor. We see that in 23 and 24. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last days. Now, what's going on here in this conversation? They're on the side of a road. They're having, you know, hey, Jesus, you didn't show up. I'm upset with you a little bit. And then I think what's happening is that Jesus says these words here, your brother will rise again. I think that Mary thinks that Jesus is starting to comfort her because in, in light of her response. Oh, Jesus is just trying to come alongside me. I, I lost my, my brother, right? You know, when, when you lose somebody and you go, go to a memorial service, you know, they always say this, well, he's in a better place, right? It's for a belief, it's... it's it's not goodbye, we'll see you later. <laughs> you know what I mean? We always say these words, you know what I mean? And sometimes we're like, I don't know if those are the right words. I, I get the meaning. I, I get the theological perspective of, of, of what's happening there. Yeah, we have hope we're going to see our loved ones again when we're reunited. Maybe somewhere she's, she's just looking toward the future, not looking to what's happening right now. Somewhere maybe she lost sight of the fact that Jesus could resurrect even from the dead because he resurrected Jairus' daughter from the dead. He resurrected the widow's son from Nain from the dead. And maybe she forgot that. Guys, how many times do we see God do these miracles and then we go about our business and we don't think he's going to take care of us. We forget all the miracles he's done in the past and how he's been faithful. God is consistent. He's faithful. In fact, the Bible says, that when we're faithless, he still remains faithful. In this moment, she might be a little faithless, but God's going to remain faithful because that's the God that we serve, right? Maybe in this moment, she's walking more by, by sight than she is by faith because you're called to walk by faith and not by sight. But even then, you see Martha's Faith as she quotes the scriptures, right? She, she's, quote, she's quoting scriptures here in the passage. I know he'll rise again in the resurrection last day. Don't start bringing theology now. <laughs> we come and we give a scripture to somebody. And that's a comforting thing. But I think even our still her heard. Yeah, I, 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 I know. I know the Bible. I know what you said. I know your promises. But it's still a little hard right now. Right? It's still a little difficult. I know that I'm going to see my, my, my brother in the resurrection. But she didn't cast that Jesus was going to resurrect him physically in that moment. She didn't see that. Right? But then he makes this statement. They're not in Bethany yet. They're just on the side of a road. I don't care. Ministry will take place anywhere. Right? A side of a road. At a bar. Anywhere. Like you're like, Pastor Peter, hang out at bars? Yeah, we need to hang out at bars, talk about Jesus. Right? Uh, I don't know about that, Pastor. Um, God will use whatever he uses in our daily life to minister to those who have loss and grief. And sometimes grief and loss is not even in a loss of death. It's in loss of different things in our life. And so what does Jesus do? We close in 25 to 27 is, Jesus promises life to those who believe. He's going to promise life even to Mary here. I, I, I had a thought as I was studying. I don't know, I might be way off on this, but I've seen this a lot. Martha was grieving over the loss of her brother, but maybe it was more than that. This loss means something more. It, maybe she lost her purpose, maybe she lost her identity. Let me explain. She is the one found serving the family, preparing the meals for her brother, cleaning the house for the family. She was probably the one caring for Lazarus in her fever, bringing cold washcloths to cool his fever, food and drink to give him strength. In some sense, she was the caretaker of the family. 
You'll read that in the story. We're going to read that in chapter 12 later. In fact, that was her complaint to Jesus about Mary. Like, you know, I'm cleaning and doing this housework and Mary's not helping me. Right? Because she was the, the servant, the one that just took care of the, the stuff in the house. In her grief, maybe she lost her identity. Who do I care for now? My brother's gone. Many of you have older kids. Me, Julie and I were empty nesters now. All my kids are older. My last one's in her senior year of college. But they're out of our home. They're, they're out doing things. And sometimes there's a, even a grieving process when your kids leave. Because you've been serving them and loving them and carrying them for so long. But now there's a time to launch. Launch them out that they can live adult lives. And there is a grieving process to that. Because things have changed. And sometimes, guys, what we have to be careful as we lose our identity is when we find our identity in what we do instead of who we are. We find our identity as the caretaker. You're created in the image of God. and Your identity is in Christ, right? See, your value and worth were found in what you did and not who you are, and you struggle with that. So when that went away, like what role and what purpose do I have now? Jesus' delay was to bring people to a deeper faith. That's his purpose. I think Jesus wanted to bring Martha to a deeper faith. Why? Because we know the scripture says that Jesus said, Martha, Mary, I love, period. It didn't say, Martha, I love you because you clean the house and prepare meals. That's transactional. We can get in transactional relationships. If you do this, I will do this. That's not the relationship God wants from us. If I'm good, God, you'll love me. No, God loves you in light of what you do because it's not a transactional relationship. And we live in a transactional relationships in our culture. If I want something, I have to give something, but that's not the love of God. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He loved us before we loved him. He will always love us in spite of what we do. He still loves us. And the point is, I think what's happening with here with, with, with Martha is God's trying to impress her. I'm gonna, I want to go deeper in your walk and, and use this grief to help you get back your identity of how much I love you and who you are in Christ. Many of you have come from woundedness and brokenness and all that, and your identity is to just follow your family line and your brokenness in there and how that's affected your life. And, how, and, and, and we forget that God wants to break those things from our past he wants to give us freedom from those things that we can have a, a life of victory. That we're not going to live like maybe the brokenness of our family. That we have a new identity in him. And in him, God wants to do this greater work in us. And he wants to break us free from those things that we so easily do. I realize that I act more like my father than I thought. Because my wife reminds me sometimes, yeah, you're a lot like your dad. And, and, and sometimes I'm like, ooh. I hope he's not watching. Um, but, but the reality is I have to understand, guys, part of, um, I'm going to be real and honest with you today, part of my soul care, the retreat that I went away for was to get physically healthy, emotionally healthy, spiritually healthy, just have time with Jesus. It was a hard season for us as a church with COVID and all the race issues and the politics and all the junk out there, and everybody felt it. I felt it. And so I had to get away and just make sure I got before the Lord that he can do the work he needed in me. And so I did go to a soul care director, counselor for a little bit just to sit and have conversations about my life. And God, I don't want to just, I know you love me, but it's not the work that I do. I just want to, I know it's just you love me for Pete. He expressed that in his death. And as I went through this process of counseling with, with just a spiritual leader, that I didn't realize that for those who know my story, I lost my mom through domestic violence with my stepdad when I was seven. I I had a major tumor when I was 10. I was in the hospital for six months. They found this tumor. 13th, I lost my first girlfriend to a serial killer in East LA. And then I watched my mom die, my stepmom watched her die of cancer. And I didn't realize in this situation, I never grieved. I never took time to grieve. And when I held my mom's hand, my stepmom's hand when she died of cancer, something happened in me. It triggered all my emotions growing up of the loss that I had. Now, I'm getting this through this counselor and this understanding of this and saying, Pete, you never stopped to grieve. I remember when I buried my mom was November 4th, 2020. 
That day we buried my mom, we put her in the ground. I drove all the way down from LA because we had a worship night here at church because I wanted to be with the family. And from then I just continued on. And, and I had to have that moment with God in grief and work through the process of saying, God, heal my heart. Heal those things. Some of you might have to go through that and understanding there are things in our lives and our past that we have to deal with because if we don't, it's going to affect our relationships, our marriage, our relationship with our children, our relationship with people. If we don't allow God to do the healing and giving us the freedom we need to do the work inside of us. And I had to have God do some spiritual work inside. That's why he's the great counselor. That's why he's the great physician. That's why who he is. So I can be a better shepherd, a better pastor, not because I'm earning brownie points with God. It's because what? God loves me and I love you. And so I just want to, and that's exactly what's happening with Martha here. God had to do this work in there. And so he begins to affirm her. Jesus begins to promise this new life in 25 and 27. Look what it says. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection of life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This is the sixth I am statement in the gospel of John. There are seven I am statements. This is the sixth one. I am the resurrection of life. Jesus is the giver of life. I am the one who can resurrect you. God wants to give us life. Abundant life and eternal life. Abundant life means quality of life. He wants to give us. And our new life originates from Christ in Christ. I want you to hear that. By faith, when we come to Christ, he comes and lives in us, and he gives us this new divine nature, this, this power in us. I want you to understand what he's saying by this statement. I am the God and have power over death. Paul wrote in Ephesians 2.1, you he made alive who were dead and trespasses of sin. Our death because of sin enslaved us, but God resurrected us. He made us alive. So uh, he, he, he resurrects us in two ways. He resurrects us spiritually. That means you become like born again and we become a new creation and we become children of God and we have been given a new family and an identity in Christ and he, is, he has gifted us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly realm. So when I came to faith, when I put my trust in God, what he did is he took me from my brokenness and he put me on a path of healing. He comes, lives inside of me. That's being taken from death to life. I was dead in my trespass for the wages of sin is death. I, my, my, desti my destination was death. And I live my life accordingly. But God renewed it and gave me a new life. He breathed life into me. John chapter 20 talks about how he brings life into you. He gave me new life. So he'll resurrect us spiritually, meaning before we die, he'll even train, change us. He'll resurrect us to a new life, right? Later on, he's going to say when he resurrects, later he comes out all mummified. It looks like the mummy when he comes out of the tomb. And he says what? He tells the disciples, unwrap him, right? We'll get into that next week. Unravel. What he's saying is, I was dead. I was mummified. I was in the, in the grave spiritually. God made me alive, but I, there were still things bound. They were still binding me. Still things that need to be broken. Though I've been mentored in, God wants to set me free, and he wants to take me. And the church, the people, the council, the worship, the word, all begins to unravel me so that I can have spiritual life. <laughs> Though I have life coming in, now God does the healing and restoring and doing the work he needs to do. But then there's eternal life. Right, that gets us into to heaven. We have a future place, not reincarnation. Reincarnation is to come back like you were, come back something less than or more than because reincarnation teaches you're still trying to work to get better. That's work. And you're trying to work toward a, what? Nothingness. I'm not going toward nothingness. I'm going toward an eternal home. That's where I'm going, right? In the presence of God among the brethren, worshiping God. You remember when the apostles, Peter, James, and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration. They go up to this mountain. Jesus is there, and he transfigures in this his glorious body, actually in his heavenly body. And Peter, James, and John are watching, and there's Elijah, and there's Moses, 
He's there in the you know, you know, people say, hey, man, Moses really blew it, right? Moses had an anger problem. He had a temper problem. He killed somebody. He did all these crazy things. And he didn't get into the promised land in, in the, the New Jerusalem. Remember, Joshua took the people in the promised land. Moses couldn't go in because of his temper. He lost that blessing. He, I, I, God, God can be vicious sometimes. He took Moses on top of the mountain and said, see all that beautiful land over there? You ain't getting it. Your servant Joshua is there. Because you struck the rock twice, you took things in your own hand, you killed people. He had an anger problem, but he's on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus because that tells me he made it in the eternal kingdom because he's with Jesus and the prophets. Because one represents the law. That's Moses, right? The law and the prophets. I believe that the two prophets in the book of Revelation is Moses and Elijah coming back, but that's my theological stance. It could be wrong. But he, he's with Jesus already, and the disciples are like blown away. I get to see a glimpse into heaven is what they did. And, and, and so we begin to see that. In fact, your homework, I like to give you sometimes, guys, homework. Go back today after church. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 35 to 58, because it tells you exactly what happens when you die. God doesn't keep us in the dark. He tells exactly what happens when we die right? In fact, he gives us a picture of what happens when we die. Death has lost its sting, verse, 50, verse 55 in chapter 15. We're changed in a moment in the tukula eye, chapter 52. And then there's a spiritual transformation. Look at what it says here in verse 42 to 44. It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, put six feet under, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, our weakness, our, our fragility, our imperfections, our woundedness, but they were raised in glory. They were buried in weakness. Paul said, I boasted in my weakness and in my frailties, in my imperfections, but they will be raised in strength, meaning that you're not going to be tired in heaven. And they are buried as a natural man, natural body. This is our natural bodies, but they'll be raised in spiritual bodies because this natural body cannot fit in the spiritual kingdom. It has to have a new body, a spiritual body, really created for spiritual heaven. For just as there are the natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. Just when the caterpillar thought life was over, it became a butterfly. God transforms us and metamorphosizes us in that very way. John 6, 40, you read about it. It's the feeding of the 5,000 story. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last day. Amen. Listen, I am the resurrection of life. He who believes in me, believes in me, not hopes in Jesus, not just believes in God, but that God actually lives in you. You have to receive that. And then we see the confirmation of, of Martha's faith in verse 27. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is to come into the world. Martha makes this confession. Why? And I think this confession is just Jesus drawing her in closer to him. Jesus wants to draw you close. He goes, I want you to get rooted in me. I want you to have deeper relationship with me. I want you to, to have this with me here. That was the purpose of meeting with Martha. I know you're hurting, Martha, but I'm gonna draw you because the Bible says, when you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. She drew near to him in the coming. And he says, because you came, now I'm coming to you and I'm gonna get you roots deeper because I have a great work for you to do here. I think in our woundedness, brokenness is where we're more vulnerable to draw near to Jesus. And she is. When you're at your wit's end, you just draw into God. And sometimes that's the best place to be in there, right? And she's answering Jesus' question. You know, I believe in you. And she confesses three things. I believe that you are the, I believe Christ, you are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. That's what Christ means, anointed one. You, he says, you, Christ, you are the son of God, the only begotten one, the son of the father. I believe that. Christ, you are the incarnate one, the sent one. You are the anointed one, the only begotten one, and the sent one. You came into the world. It goes all the way back to John chapter one. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. It goes all the way back to Philippians chapter two, where he humbled himself and took on the nature of man. I believe that. And so as I close this morning, I don't know where you are with the Lord, where you're walking, but he wants to draw you in near. I don't know what you're grieving. I don't know what you're hurting from, but God is the comforter and the healer 
He gives you what you need for the moment. That's who, the, that's who we worship. That's who we gather around every Sunday. But not just on Sunday. That's who we follow every single day. That's who we worship every day. That's who we trust every day. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. Lord, as I, I think about the work you've done here, that our faith community helps us in our loss. And Lord, if there's people here that have loss, it's, their, it's the faith community that surrounds them. And we, Mary, Martha, Mary had this faith community. Father, may this be a place where people can come and get healed. Our faith in Jesus will help us in the grief process, Lord. And I know, Lord, we can come to you raw and real and be honest in our struggle, grief, grief whatever it is, grief and loss in relationships, grief and loss with our kids, whatever it is, God. You can deal with our rawness. We have, we have a safe place in your presence, Lord. And Lord, I know that our faith is anchored in the fact that there is life after death. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that our, we have a hope that there's a finish line. If there's not a finish line, we ought, we ought to be most pitied, the Bible says. And so I'm praying this morning for those in this sanctuary here and those watching online, Lord, I ask that you would begin to heal them and touch them and give them new life. If you're here this morning and maybe you just need a touch from God, maybe this morning you just need a, something that God needs to speak to, just raise your hand. I want to pray over you this morning. I see your hands. I see your hands. I see your hands. Lord, you, not, I don't just see your hands, but God sees your hands. And so, Father, I just pray over those that raise their hand, Lord. Father, you know the secrets of their heart. You know what's stirring inside them. And I'm sure, I'm sure they've come to you with it already. But I pray, Lord, that you're the God who hears. You're the God that listens. The scripture says you bend an ear. And so I'm praying now for the healing of the hearts of these people, whatever they're going through, whatever they need, Lord, just as you comforted and strengthened Martha, may you comfort and strengthen them today. That they may walk in victory. They may walk in strength. They may walk in the things that they need in order to find that life you promised them. Lord, fill them up with your spirit that they have my life and have it abundantly. We thank you. We praise you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, and everybody say Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.